That's a good Christmas song. But that's a good song. Anytime. It's a good song anytime. It's true. Today we are uh, we're departing from our not departing permanently. We're taking a detour from our systematic study through First Peter. And I think it's worth addressing what we do here. So I have a rather long introduction to the sermon, to the message today. The message titled A Good Christmas Song. Each year as the pages of the calendar disappear, December rolls around, we wind down the year. Someone asks without fail, what will we be doing at the church this year for Christmas, for the Christmas season? And every year I have to ask myself, what are we doing in the preaching? Um, the whole world during the month of December, and really that's not right. It, it starts long before the month of December. The whole world gets caught up, gets uh, swept up in celebrating Christmas. And, and I'm using Christmas in air quotes because we know that all the hype throughout the world about Christmas is about retail sales and about getting stuff. And it's more about the pursuit of celebrating than it is about any concern for what we celebrate or who we celebrate. But I know that in our church, just, just looking and seeing who we are as a church, some of you get very excited around this time of year. Your, your sweaters came out and um, have to turn the air conditioner up, but the sweaters came out. <laughs> and uh, the, the Christmas decorations come out the minute the last bite of turkey is chewed at Thanksgiving. And uh, some of you may have come having seen the title of the message, hoping, hoping, that we'll start a series of Christmas sermons. Uh, and if we did this year what we did last year and the year before that, which is just continue preaching through the series we were at, you would be disappointed, uh, at least somewhat. But others of you, and maybe I fall closer to this camp, uh, others of you are so done with the abuse and misappropriations of Christmas and Christ's name, both in the world and in the church, that you'd be most happy if, as a church, we never mentioned Christmas and we ignored it altogether. And this brings me to an observation about our church, about who we are. At Waco Family Baptist Church, there's, there's uh, what I think is a lot of teaching and preaching that is unpopular and often rejected doctrine. And on the whole, as a church, as, as members of this church, we agree on these difficult doctrinal positions. That's a, that's a blessing. There's so many things that so many people oppose and fight over, and we are in unity. That's great. But when it comes to the question of whether to celebrate Christmas or how to celebrate Christmas, 
the place of Christmas in our worship services, we reveal some difference. Now, I would like to say this. I wouldn't like to say it, but I feel like I have to say it. I'm not for a Christmas tree in our worship service. I'm not, that's not mine. That's not ours. Uh, that, that's and, and so many people who know my thoughts about that are picking on me and saying, that's a nice Christmas tree. I'll let it there. <laughs> just just get, getting it at me. Um, so that's not what, when I, when I say we differ, I, I think we agree on things like there's no place for a Christmas tree in our worship services. Um, I, I wouldn't say as we have differences of opinions on the subject of Christmas that we are divided. Uh, praise God, I, I, we recognize Christian liberty and, and we, we don't divide over our differences. We can hold different opinions uh, and, and still be united and still love one another. And, uh, but, but there are still differences. So today we come here and I stand before you as pastor. Uh, some wishing I'd really dive into Christmas and others wishing I'd ignore it. I wonder how many of you would like to, uh, you know, trade places and figure out how to navigate these waters. As I was thinking about what to do and, and what churches do at Christmas, I was reminded this week of a time that uh, when our kids were young, we, we visited family in another state and we planned, uh, this was during Christmas time, we planned that we would all attend church together and uh, this was lost family and unchurched family that we were visiting and we were glad that they agreed to go to church. Uh, and, and we were very uh, hopeful and excited that they would attend, that they would hear the gospel, and that this may be at least the beginning of what God would do uh, to save their souls. That, that was our prayer. So we looked for a church, we showed up at the proper time, and we were so disappointed. Uh, Stacy reminded me the pastor wasn't even there that Sunday. Our family, the family who went with us loved it. I mean, they loved it. And Stacy and I left with some blend of sadness and anger. The, the church used the opportunity, they used the service to showcase every poet and singer and dancer and thespian in their congregation, their very large congregation. And they put on a production that would rival any Christmas show on the Vegas Strip or on Broadway. There was every platitude to the American consumer Christmas that you could imagine. There were songs sung like Silver Bells and Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. And the production was top notch. It was top notch, but there was no preaching. There was no gospel. There was a mention of Jesus, but only a passing mention of Jesus. And then only to refer to him as a baby in a manger. And as you've heard me say over and over again, if our Christmas celebration leaves us with a baby in a manger, we have not gone far enough. Jesus didn't come to be a baby in a manger. He came as a baby in a manger 
to be the Savior of all who would believe in Him. At that service, there was no mention of sin, no mention of holiness or divine justice, no mention of the cross, no mention of the empty tomb. And Stacy and I were greatly saddened and disturbed that this would pass as church. But today, I'm not setting out to make anyone mad, to disappoint your expectations, whether you love to celebrate Christmas or whether you don't celebrate Christmas. But I will disappoint you if you came hoping to see a show, if you came hoping to have story time. But for those, for those who love Christmas and for those who don't, but for those who love Christ. I hope to satisfy the desire in you that is placed there by the Holy Spirit, the desire to have the Word of God exposited and Christ proclaimed. And that is the plan, that is the plan for the next few weeks in an effort to rightly think as a church about the birth of our Savior. Today, we think about Christmas songs. I mentioned the title of the sermon today, A Good Christmas Song. And, and as we think about Christmas songs, and you can apply this to any songs. You can apply this to many Christian songs. We recognize that there are good songs. And boy, we have songs some good songs today. But there are bad songs. Sometimes there are bad songs even printed in books with hymnal written on the front. There are bad songs. Uh, bad songs would be songs that have no meat. Songs that have no hearty nourishment for our souls. Even if there is nostalgia, even if there's a nice tune, even if you there's a smooth voice singing the song, some songs are simply vacuous, empty. And at the risk of offending your senses, uh, I wrote down a few. <laughs> maybe you love some of these songs, and in past, maybe I would have said that I like them too. Some of these I have, uh, I have sung. Mary, did you know? Very popular, but apparently written by someone who hadn't read scripture. Because we can all say, yes, Mr. Lowry, she knew. She knew. Uh, it's not a Christmas song, but this week as I've been thinking about the, the song that we will consider today, I, I listen to music and I listen to a song that would be considered a Christian song. I've heard it sung in churches as I grew up. Chris Christopherson's why me, Lord? What did I ever do to deserve loving you? And can I tell you something? That's a terrible song. It's a terrible song. You know why? Asking the question, what did I ever do, means we do not understand that being saved is by God's grace from his own good pleasure. It's out of his mere good pleasure. And, and asking the question, what did I do? Everything we've done deserves hell. Another Christmas song. 
Get ready. Away in a manger. I, I challenge you to work through the lyrics of that song and find anything of substance. Anything more than sappy sentimentalism. Author unknown. But I read this week as I as I was reading up out away in the manger, I read somewhere. This has been credited to Martin Luther. And I say to you, no. <laughs> no. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, did not come from the same person. <laughs> Jesus did cry, by the way. He was a he was a baby and, and it shared all of uh, human traits and characteristics that we have except in without sin. This week I heard a terrible song on the radio, Where is the Birthday Boy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's as bad as you would think. Um, but there's, there's also good music. There's very good music. Last year at a gathering... Uh, I tried to play Handel's Messiah, uh, a recording. Not, no, I didn't try to play. I tried to play a recording of Handel's Messiah. I want to be very clear about that. That would have been terrible. But, but playing a recording, a professional recording of Handel's Messiah, uh, I was scoffed at. Uh, which I got to tell you, I, just as an encouragement, this is free commercial. Uh, you got to listen to that. You got to listen to that now. That's not just good Christmas music. That's good music. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Uh, it, anyway, that's that's good stuff. It, it amazes me that you take a song, or a song like the Hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah, and that is pumped in, piped in through the speaker systems of the shopping centers and the retail outlets. And what is being declared over the speaker is the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. And that is being proclaimed while people, maybe us, can, can pretend it's background music. And go on looking for whatever trinkets we need to get this year. But there are, there are good songs, there are even great songs that we forget about. I think today's song that we will consider is one that we don't think a whole lot of. We come to the text of Scripture at Christmas time and we immediately go to the birth of the Savior. But there's a lot of stuff before that that is God's Word. And today we find such a great song. The song of Mary in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to focus our attention on the song of Mary, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to really through 55. Uh, but I'd like to go back in our reading just a few verses and read from verse 39. I, I am so appreciative. Uh, well, Jeff and I don't get together and discuss what will be read and sung and preached. Uh, we don't trade notes, but, but just here's a text. 
And uh, I appreciate how much we have this morning uh, heard of other great songs. The song of Moses, um, the, 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 the songs of scripture that are written there. And we think of it, we think about songs of scripture, we immediately think, well, the songs, right? We, we immediately go to the songs and, and how wonderful and rich are the songs. But there are other songs in scripture for us. Uh, the song of Moses, the song here that we have, the song of Mary. Let's let's get to it. We'll begin reading Luke chapter one, verse thirty-nine. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and there entered the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and she spake with a loud voice and this is the song of Elizabeth she spake with a loud voice and said blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ear, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So much good to discuss there. But we continue in verse 46. And Mary said, and now we have the song of Mary. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low he had filled the hungry with good things and the rich he had sent empty away. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time in this text. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can come before you boldly in prayer because of our Savior. Coming clothed in his righteousness alone. Coming, having our sins forgiven us because of his blood. God, we pray today that you would help us to think of Christ, to help us to think of Christ rightly and biblically, and that as we think of Christ, we would worship. Hide this preacher behind the cross of Calvary, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. These verses 46 through 54 
uh, 55 are commonly viewed as a song. I have called it Mary's song. Uh, it's a poetic expression of worship and praise magnifying God. She begins with this, my soul doth magnify the Lord. So it is commonly referred to this, this song as the Magnificat, the Latin for this magnifying song. This is, this is technically an Old Testament song. Even though we find it here in the New Testament book of Luke, it is a song before the birth of Christ. This is technically an Old Testament song, just as John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Mary's song is one of the last of the Old Testament songs. And I say one of uh, because this is just one in this series of songs in Luke's gospel. We read uh, Elizabeth's song. This is a poetic expression from her. Then we have Mary's song that is our text for today. Then Zacharias, the, the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias' mouth is open and he utters his song. And then as Jesus is brought into the temple, as we read earlier in our worship service, Simeon, this old saint of God that has been awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, he brings his song. This is, uh, this is a lot of songs. <laughs> For a book that's not a song book, it's a lot of songs right here at the beginning of Luke. And, and I think this is a lesson for us just in this, the, the situation and the arrangement of all this poetry and verse and singing. We should recognize that the coming of Jesus sparked songs of worship, praise to God, expressions of gratitude for the salvation that he would bring. And this should be a test Christians, for our hearts, we know so much more detail about Jesus than did these Old Testament saints. They, they knew. I, I should say this. I, I want to change that. I said we know more than they knew. We have more information available to us to know. But sometimes we're lazy. Sometimes we're ignorant by choice and we don't know. But so much more is available. And for some of us, for some of us, we do study the scripture and we do know so much more about Christ than they knew. So the question is, does that knowledge of Christ bring us to sing? Does that knowledge of Christ bring us to a place of worship out loud, of praise? Or can you just stand and stay silent when the church of God is proclaiming, no condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. My favorite song. 
That's what we proclaim. Does the knowledge we have about Christ bring us to, to sing these things with smiles on our faces and tears in our eyes? With Elizabeth, there was singing. With Simeon, there was singing. With Zacharias, there was singing. And in the heart of Mary, they were singing. We don't dare forget the difficult place that she was in. Nobody's going to call the plight of Mary easy. We call it blessed. She was blessed, but it wasn't easy. But there was an expression of gratitude and praise and worship in her heart. And there are three things that I would like to see that I'd like to point out for us today. Three things that we learn in Mary's song about her faith. And these three things that we learn about her faith are things that are worth imitating. I present them to you today as things we should imitate. Every Christian would do well to read this text of scripture and be stirred up by it to faithfully walk with the Savior. So in the first place, we see in this text, in her song, that Mary was a student of scripture. Mary knew the word of God. And she was expecting the coming of a savior. Now, in one sermon, it would be impossible to give every Old Testament text which intersects with Mary's song. We just couldn't do that. The expression of her heart takes us all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to the beginning. And it demonstrates that she had a good working knowledge of the Bible. Not just the big stories. She knew the promises of God. She clearly knew the Psalms. And Mary teaches us how the words of a psalmist can aid and should aid and inform our own words, our own prayers. When we pray, we can pray the psalms. When we sing, we can sing the psalms. And as Mary wrote verse, as we would write verse, we can express our hearts better when we are greatly influenced by the psalms. We just... Read Mary's Magnificat. Bless the Lord. Now listen to Psalm 34. Just a few verses here to get the flavor and hear the same phrasing, the same kind of expression, the same, um, the same way of speaking. Psalm 34, just the first three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The Lord shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. It's the same kind of flavor. It's the same kind of feel as Mary's song. Mary knew the songs and we see this coming forth in her song. Mary was also aware of other Old Testament texts. Mary was aware of the Old Testament women who were blessed with miraculous births. Hagar, Sarah, Hannah, the mother of Samson, even her cousin Elizabeth, 
all had miraculous conceptions and deliveries. They were not like hers. They were not like Mary's because Mary was a virgin. She was a young woman, but she was also a virgin in the sense that we understand the word. She found herself in an exclu a pretty exclusive group of these women who had miraculous um, conceptions and deliveries. And her Magnificat reflects the words of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel. And, and I was going to read a verse or two from there, and then I got carried away, so we're going to read eight verses. Because <laughs> these are wonderful words of worship. And, and as we read, we see the, the relation and, and the reflection of Hannah's prayer in Mary's song from 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemy because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken and they that stumble are girded and strengthened. They that were full have hired themselves out for bread and they that were hungry have ceased. So the barren has borne seven and she that has many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and he bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. I just found a place to stop because it just keeps going. It's, it's very good. But, but this is the kind of expression. This is Hannah's expression of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Some of us may not like this text. I mean, it says the Lord maketh alive. That's pretty good. But it also says the Lord killeth. We, we don't like some of these things, but we see the truth of God's providence and we see it in Hannah's expression of praise and we see it in Mary's song as well when Mary speaks of the Lord putting down and exalting. Mary knew the Psalms. Mary knew the Old Testament scripture. And as we think about Mary's familiarity with the scriptures, remember Mary lived in a day when it would be impossible for her to have a Bible. A, a bound leather copy that you can hold in your hand. How handy. We forget how handy that is. She, unable to have her own personal copy of the scripture, she gained this knowledge of the scriptures, to use our modern way of saying it, in church. She was under the word of God regularly as God's people assembled and she listened. She wasn't distracted. There are distractions that are distracting. 
But sometimes we give in to those distractions. If the cream corn burns in the kitchen, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Mary was in the assembly hearing the word of God and paid attention. Because knowing the scripture mattered to her. Mary's familiarity, her working knowledge with the scripture should challenge us as to how well we know the Bible. We have so much more revealed. We have the New Testament. The things that Mary pondered in her heart. That's a, that's a theme throughout the Gospels. She pondered these things in her heart. The things that Mary pondered in her heart, many of those things are mysteries revealed to us that we know, that we see. Clearly, and we have so many more conveniences. We have our own Bibles. We have study tools and helps. We have comfortable cars to get in to get us to church. And when we get here, we have all the comforts. So I ask Christian, how are you prioritizing God's word in your life? This is worth imitating. Mary was a student of Scripture. And she was expecting the coming of the Savior. Secondly, Mary was a humble worshiper. we got to hurry. I thought this was going to be short. And as usual, I filled in other stuff. Secondly, Mary was a humble worshiper. As we read Mary's song, we immediately can dispense of the nonsensical idea that Mary was sinless. Mary certainly is no deity. She is not a God, and even more to the point, we see here in this song that she is a sinner in need of a Savior. Let's just work through some of this, beginning in verse 46. My soul doth magnify the Lord. As she magnifies the Lord, she serves for us as an example that we should magnify the Lord and we should not magnify Mary. Verse 47, my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary is no Savior. Mary needed a Savior. And she recognized that the baby in her womb is the promised one, her Savior. She needed a Savior. Verse 48, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Her estate was not immaculate. That immaculate thing. That's the teaching that Mary herself was sinless. And then she gave birth to Jesus who was sinless. Mary was not immaculate as the Catholic Church teaches. She was a sinner from her birth of ordinary generation. Just like each and every one of us are sinners from our birth of ordinary generation. And she says here that she's the handmaiden, the bond servant of God. That's what we are. So as she continues in verse 48 to say, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, or if you prefer, shall call me blessed. We should see her as a blessed one, maybe even one of the most blessed ones from among the humble, lowly sinners in need of a savior. She's one of us. And she's blessed. 
She knew the Bible. She recognized the promises of God, which ran from Genesis right up to her day. And she recognized that she was carrying the promised Messiah. And it caused her to humbly worship God. She recognized the, she recognized the promises and the blessings of God on the nation of Israel. But she also said, look at what he's done to me. She recognized her own benefit in this. In this song, she expresses gratitude and worship for what God has done and what he continues to do. And this too serves for us as a measuring stick where we might find the edges of our own faith. Does gratitude and worship flow from your heart as it did from Mary's? Does, does what we know of Christ bring us to worship? This is worth imitating. Mary was a student of scripture expecting the coming Savior and Mary was a humble worshiper. And an example for us in these things. Lastly, Mary believed in the promised Messiah. Mary not only knew of her sin and her need for a savior, she had faith in the Savior. Verses 54 and 55 reveal the fact that Mary saw this Messiah that would be born from her womb to be the savior of souls. He had helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. For those who are students of theology proper, for those who were with us this Wednesday night, as we as we talked about, we need to recognize here an anthropomorphism, anthropomorphic language. Now, there's one before, if you saw it, of when it spoke of God's arm, the arm of God. But here we have this use, this mention of God, God's remembrance of His mercy. And God doesn't forget, so God doesn't have to remember. But we speak here in human terms and Mary speaks in human terms. As we say this in anthropomorphic language, God remembers the sin of every lost sinner against them. He remembers his mercy, his promise to those who believe in the Savior. If you will believe on Jesus, God has laid your sin to the account of Christ and he will remember your sin against you no more. Those who trust in Jesus, those who are Abraham's children by faith, he remembers his mercy. Mary was blessed by and because of her faith in the promise of God to send a savior, this baby she was carrying Jesus Christ. This is worth imitating. Mary was a student of scripture. She was expecting the coming of the Savior. Mary was a humble worshiper and Mary believed in the promised Messiah. It strikes me that we are, we are in a place, I mean, they were in a place before the birth of Christ to expect the coming of Jesus. Where are we? In that same place. To expect not his first coming, but to expect his second coming. We are in a place to expect.
expect the coming of Christ. So while the whole world around us seems to have no clue about the Savior who was born in Bethlehem, and by the way, born nowhere near December 25th, we who are his, we who are people ruled by the book, we consider Mary today the saint who had a front row seat to the fulfillment of God's promises. And we find in her something to imitate as we prepare ourselves to see the consummation, the completion, the fulfillment of his promise. My prayer for each of you today is that you would, like Mary, be a serious student of Scripture. Like Mary, that you would be a humble worshiper of God. <clears throat> and like Mary, you would be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away sins of the world. God, I pray this morning that as we consider this saint on the pages of New Testament scripture, that you would prick our hearts, that you would point out sin in us, that we would be challenged and encouraged in our walk with Christ. God, we pray that you would grant to us an ever-increasing hunger after your word not because it's some magic book but because it is your word your breathed out message that reveals you that reveals Christ help us to love your word as we Love your word and study your word and know your word. Help us to be worshipers. Create in us hearts of gratitude. Give us humble hearts. God, help us to believe in Jesus. Not once but throughout our lives. Our faith leading to growing faith. We pray this in Christ's name.